On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. You know, I'm just really proud of our state for kind of thinking through these issues, wanting to understand the data and make data-driven decisions. A survey is now open to help determine what would help Iowa's business and industry most at this stage in the pandemic and recovery. Changes to the ongoing PPP program for businesses, and we'll tell you about a Cedar Falls company that has invented technology to help areas when the power goes out due to natural disasters. This is the Iowa Business Report for the fourth weekend of February 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. Two entities based at the University of Northern Iowa, the Institute for Decision Making and Strategic Marketing Services, have partnered with the Iowa Economic Development Authority to generate data about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on Iowa businesses and nonprofits. They rolled out their third online survey in the series this past week, and data generated from the previous surveys was directly used to establish programs and services. I spoke this past week with Christy Riken, Director of Strategic Marketing Services, and Drew Conrad, Director of the Institute for Decision Making, who begins with an explanation of his group's work. IDM, which we're known for, is one of the economic development outreach programs at UNI. My program, we specifically focus on working with communities, economic development organizations, chambers of commerce, tourism groups, etc. We've been around since 1987 and have worked in all 99 counties in Iowa, and we actually do work around the country. So when you say the core services are planning, how does that help these organizations? What expertise do you bring that they may be lacking? We facilitate a lot of strategic planning processes. Uh, We also do applied research, which is one of the focuses of what our conversation is today. My team, we're economic development professionals. So we're in the room helping, whether it's a volunteer board at a countywide economic development organization or a chamber, you know, we're helping them decide what their priorities are for their organization or their community, help them to develop that plan to move it forward. So, Christy, how did this particular project with the Iowa Economic Development Authority, how did that come about and and what's it made up of? We're here when the COVID pandemic started and understood immediately there's going to be a widespread impact among businesses throughout our state and obviously beyond. But because we're part of Iowa and we work with Iowa companies, we were especially concerned about them and what kind of impact it was going to have and what could we do to be of assistance to our state. And so pretty quickly, Drew and a lot of his contacts came up with the idea of let's do an impacts research project and a study specifically, and let's just ask some questions and find out what's happening and how can um, the state help, what kinds of needs and assistance are top of mind for them. And so that's really how it started. We partnered pretty quickly with the Iowa Economic Development Authority And they actually sponsored the first two surveys that we did. The first one was in March of last year, the second May of last year, and really just asked questions like, what kind of impact has this had? Is it positive or negative? Because, you know, a a very small percentage had a positive impact, mostly a negative impact. What are their concerns? How are they handling 
the health and safety of their employees? What kind of impact is this having to their revenue and their employment? And so we really wanted to understand those issues so the Iowa Economic Development Authority could use that information and design some specific assistance programs through state and federal funding. So Drew, now we're to a third survey, those first two very early on. Now we've got, unfortunately, a year's worth of experience with all of this. What are you looking to find now? What's the main topic of the survey in the field for this month? Well, for survey three, it's really to see how things have changed or has conditions changed for Iowa businesses. You know, as Christy would describe, our first survey and back in March was kind of a benchmark survey. Then in May was kind of a, you know, let's check the temperature of see how things are going. And so, you know, the other thing is, is we're almost a year out. And so just understanding that landscape of where things are at for the survey. And so from the standpoint of working with communities and economic development organizations, that's important for them to understand what what does it look like? What's the state economy look like for us? And that's going to be critical for the Iowa Economic Development Authority and other statewide policy makers who will use the data like they have for the first two surveys. Based on what you have learned so far, Drew, in your daily work, you and and the folks on your team, do you get a sense that I'll say things are rounding the corner a bit, or, or what's the sense out there? Obviously, it's much different than you last did an official survey in May. Another survey that Christie's program, Strategic Marketing Services, and my program, the Institute for Decision Making, help with the state and the utilities with is an existing industry survey. And so we had to pivot this summer and also did that survey. So looking at that data, I would say we're still running up against some of the challenges that Iowa was facing prior to COVID. Broadband, childcare, uh, workforce availability. You know, that, that's kind of been one of the interesting things is the challenge of workforce, even though we had record unemployment numbers in initial claims, you know, particularly back in March, April and May and over into the summer, workforce was still an issue in this state. You know, we are turning rounding the corner. It'll be interesting. We'll obviously survey three will will help us put actual numbers to what we're hearing from talking to folks around the state of Iowa. But I think some of the systemic issues that we've dealt with in Iowa over the last five to 10 years around workforce challenges with broadband, child care, transportation issues, et cetera, I think are going to come to the forefront again. And Christy, to pick up on what Drew was just saying, we've talked to many people on this program and elsewhere where they said, for example, when this legislative session started, the key topics were very similar to the ones last year, but in essence, the point has been made even stronger with regard to broadband, with regard to child care, because we had to really pivot in real time. Is that consistent with what you have been hearing? Absolutely. And one new issue that has really come to the forefront for Iowa's workforce is the ability to, to remote work. And you see the how that is wrapped into childcare and to broadband specifically. And so we asked questions on survey one and two, and we're asking again a new set of questions about remote work and some of the challenges specifically around that is what kind of value does better broadband bring to your organization to enable your staff to work remotely? What kind of childcare issues are involved in that? What kind of assistance do you need from a human resources standpoint, you know, to, to manage folks that are not physically located in an office space? There's a whole new set of challenges that companies are 
needing to deal with. And so we're trying to identify where those challenges are. Specifically, are there certain types of industries, certain geographic locations? And so by asking these questions statewide, we can drill down into some of those areas that have a greater need and share that with the folks in Des Moines that are helping shape policy. So Christy, how do people participate? Who is it that you're looking to get information from for this third survey of this series? So any business or nonprofit organization in the state of Iowa can participate. There are no other requirements. We do ask that only one person from each business or organization take the survey one time so we don't get duplicate information. sms.uni.edu slash IEDA business recovery survey. What's the time frame that we're talking about as folks are hearing this conversation The survey is there. How long do you anticipate it being live so that people don't wait too long and miss out on an opportunity to provide good information? Our tentative timeline is to have the survey open through St. Patrick's Day, 5 p.m. on March 17th. And depending on response rates, we may keep it up longer. We're hoping that, as Christy said, you know, we're shooting to get 10,000 respondents like we did the last survey. You know, if we're able to close it then, have a good sample, then we'll immediately start crunching the numbers and providing data not only to the state, but one of the other things in the first two surveys is we did over 120 local reports for communities, community college districts, the Small Business Development Center network around the state of Iowa about respondents and their geographies. So, If a community has enough respondents, we will produce a local report for that local chamber, economic development group, or utility, whoever it is. You know, hopefully by in April, we'll be able to start running those reports and and also get the uh, statewide report to the Iowa Economic Development Authority, get the statewide nonprofit report to the Iowa Council on Foundations. You know, we'll try to get the data out as soon as possible so people can start using it. Christy Riken, Director of Strategic Marketing Services, and Drew Conrad, Director of the Institute for Decision Making, both headquartered at the University of Northern Iowa. We spoke via Zoom on Monday, February 22nd. There's more to the conversation, including what findings surprised each of them the most. You can hear that, part of the full discussion posted as an IBR Extra podcast. Go to TotallyIowa.com and click on Radio Programs. And once again, the survey can be found right now at sms.uni.edu slash IEDA Business Recovery Survey. Still to come, some tweaks to PPP and new technology that could have been helpful during this month's Texas energy failure or last August's Iowa derecho. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa's Business Ownership Transition Initiative. Free workshops on ESOPs and worker co-ops twice each month. Learn more at AdvanceIowa.com and on LinkedIn and Facebook. The Biden administration announced changes to the Paycheck Protection Program this past week designed to help self-employed and smaller employers. Chief among them, through March 9th, the Small Business Administration is limiting PPP approvals to businesses with fewer than 20 employees. 
The federal government says 98% of U.S. small businesses fall into this category. By temporarily limiting approval of PPP applications to this group, the theory is that more money will get to ventures that often have a harder time accessing capital than larger businesses do. The loan calculation formula is also being revised so that independent contractors and sole proprietors alike can get larger loan amounts than before. If you're in that category, you can use the gross income from your tax returns rather than the net profit in calculating the maximum loan amount. The PPP program relaunched on January 11th of this year, funded with $284 billion set aside in the pandemic relief package passed by Congress in late December. Coming up, a way to store power for use in emergencies. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Iowa Family Business Center. The next Family Breakfast Series session on fair and equal compensation questions about pay in a family business will be on March 26th. Learn more at AdvanceIowa.com. When the electrical power goes out, whether temporarily from a storm or for a longer period of time due to other natural disasters, many of us are just literally in the dark. Some consumer rechargeable power cells are becoming popular, but most only will charge your phone or other small devices. Now there's Suncrate Energy, based in Cedar Falls. Suncrate Energy has invented the Solar Suncrate, a 20-foot shipping container that uses solar panels to store and provide electric power when the traditional grids fail, like in the aftermath of the devastating derecho last August or the winter storm in Texas earlier this month. Dolph Ivener is CEO of Suncrate Energy, and he explained how the first box was placed. I started in the ag industry. I started doing solar systems. Very quickly, I realized they were changing. This is, oh, probably six years ago, they were changing all the net metering rules. All the local RECs would not take power back. So I knew we had to have a battery answer. Otherwise, it wasn't going to work. So then I went down the road. I literally took batteries out of Nissan Leaf cars and built, I, I would like to call them uh, Frankensteins. Um, and, you know, went down this path. And the irony is all paths kept leading back to Tesla with the best device. And so I was able to get a date with my friend, Mr. Tesla, because I worked with a company called Black and Beach, which is a big engineering company out of Kansas City. They had like an internal shark tank and they liked my idea of the sun crate and they opened the Rolodex when Puerto Rico happened, when the hurricane happened. So I finally got a call with Tesla and Tesla said to me, hey, we don't talk about helping people in Puerto Rico unless we're in Puerto Rico. And so that was Thanksgiving. So we were like a month and a half after the hurricane. And I'm on an airplane the next day to San Juan. Go meet the guys in Puerto Rico, the Tesla people in Puerto Rico for my sun crate. And then I was able to convince them to sell me power walls. We found a good school in Yabacoa, Puerto Rico, a little, you know, just a little town out in the country. And we delivered and dropped off a sun crate for them, which has worked for the last two and a half years flawlessly. It's got Tesla power walls. It has a solar system works great. 
And since then, I've worked with Iowa State. I've been refining what I'm trying to deliver. The biggest hangup we have is it's expensive. It's not that it doesn't work. It works flawlessly. It's price point. I've been working a lot with the Navajo Nation, trying to get a project with them. Because people that don't have any grid and no grid infrastructure, that is a great place to start. What we're finding, and I've been working with Iowa State, we've got this great economic grant from uh, the Iowa Economic Council, and they were awesome and helpful and got me in with Ann Kimber with the Iowa State, is trying to build grid resiliency is basically. So upon a disaster, we have my box, it's sitting there, you deliver, drop it off. If you have a disaster that, let's say, we know is only a 72-hour disaster, you're not going to worry about putting the solar panels on the roof, right? You know, you'll be fine. You have enough battery. You have enough diesel in the generator to solve the problem. Now, if you, you're going to have a problem for weeks, you're like, okay, we're going to take the three guys, the four hours, and put the solar system on, right? And make it a little more permanent, screw it to the ground. And that is the market we're trying to chase. And part of this very difficult to grasp is this box sitting in a field. There's a Yiddish word called a shanda. It's a shanda. It's a terrible thing that it's not plugged in all the time because this thing can also help stabilize the grid, right? So in the middle of the afternoon when electricity is expensive, the utility can pull power from the battery. And then at night when it's cheap, it can fill it back up. And then upon a disaster, you can load it up and take it and drop it off where the disaster is needed. And so we're trying to find that mix to keep the revenue stream all the time working on it. And then upon a disaster, getting it deployed. And we've been working with the Iowa National Guard, which has been very helpful. You know, it's really education is where we're at. We're at the stage of education. Like, these are all the opportunities that are out there. How do you see it working for you? And right now, we built this awesome unit, and it's sitting in a park in Ames at, I think it's called Power Park. It's got a car charger on it. You can pull up and charge your car. You know, it's just, it's sitting there. You do You know, it produces power. It's it's alive. I want to try to analogize to some things that consumers may understand, because first of all, this is such a striking idea that you've come up with to basically say, here is a shipping container. And as I understand it, you're lining the walls with these Tesla cells. And so you charge those, which makes it a mobile power station because it is a container that can be transported, but yet it can be fixed with solar panels that you're installing on the top and that's what can give you an ongoing source of power like at a place like a school in puerto rico so here's my analogy i've got a little device about the size of a cell phone that i can charge up into the wall electric power to it and then that becomes the battery that i can take to charge my cell phone when it runs out and i have no other way of generating power you're in essence doing the very same thing except on a grand scale so if, for example, Texas loses its power because of an ice storm, you can drive this down there and it can just draw power from it for however many hours, 48, 72 hours, whatever might be stored. But at the same time, you've got the ability to take it to a rural area along U.S. Highway 30, post derecho, put up your solar panels, and it can be there for a month. That's the range you're talking about, correct? Correct. And we also, what else we do with it is we put a diesel generator with it. The schools in Puerto Rico, we'll use that as an example. That's just like, you know, that works great for my model. So these guys, they had these 25 kW generators sitting at every school 
and municipal building in Puerto Rico. They had to come bring fuel for them probably every other day. If they would have had my device sitting with it, with no solar at all, just optimizing the power of the generator, they would have gone maybe once a month to fuel the gen set. Because the problem was is they had to have the generator running 24 hours, whether they had two light bulbs going or everybody in school. So what you do is you fire the generator up. So the generator only turns on when it's needed, when the battery gets too low, and then it goes to its full level. It's full 25 kW. And even if the load from the school is 5 kW, the other 20 kW dumps in the battery. And so that is a very interesting thing because what does it cost to get diesel fuel into uh, wreckage? You know what I mean? It was the, the money they were spending was mind numbing, even without the solar. Just a generator and a battery, it is amazing. You know, that alone works well. You just have to find the right partner that needs to spend the dollars and isn't looking at it. It's difficult because everybody's looking at it through the lens of infrastructure is working, everything is fine. So I'm going to compare it to the cost of grid electricity and everything's running fine. It's 11 cents a kilowatt. Oh, you're ridiculous. I'll just buy a diesel generator and put it there. Well, if you have a long outage, how are you going to get the diesel, you know? And that becomes difficult. That's where you need the government. I hate to say it. Mm -hmm. Private individuals, it's very difficult for them to deal with that. That's where you need government-type organizations saying, hey, we need this. Dolph Ivaner, CEO of Suncrate Energy. More information about this unique power-storing technology is online at suncrate.energy. We connected via Zoom on February 25th. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, now including Amazon Music, Alexa, Spotify, TuneIn, and more. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.